everyone. Welcome to the Scripture Study Project, our podcast dedicated to helping you discover the scriptures in a fresh way, invest your mind and heart into your personal study, and connect to God in your everyday life. We are your hosts, Krista and Zach Horton. This week we're studying section 29 in the Doctrine and Covenants. We're really excited for what we get to study, for what it means for us and for the people around us, and um, glad that you're here with us. Yes, thank you as always for listening and for your input. This week I've been a little bit slacking off on my normal um, social media duties and I have not got the question posted yet for last week's episode. If you remember, we asked the question, what correction does the Lord have for me as we studied in sections 27 and 28? And I just wanted to follow up a little bit as I was thinking about that because I am going to get those um, Instagram posts, social media posts put up. So we would still love to hear your feedback. But as I was studying, I couldn't help but think of some of the the questions that go along with that question. What correction does the Lord have for me? Um, And I know that recently in last general conference, Sister Craig spoke about this. Her talk was called Eyes to See, and she asked the question, what am I doing that I should stop doing, and what am I not doing that I should start doing? And I know that resonated with a lot of people. I've seen a lot of people talk about that and um, really feel that, which It's such a great question to ask that goes along with that correction. I hope that correction, what does the correction does the Lord have for me, can feel overwhelming. But I think this question is such a great one to start with. And just a little bit of testimony from us about this question was the first time that I heard this almost exact phrasing was in 2015 from Elder Clark. He was speaking to, uh, it was a seminary, it was to the CES as he was the commissioner of church education. And he posed these questions and giving a personal experience that they had posed these questions to themselves as a family and how life-changing these questions had become because they really evaluated everything based on these questions. And that was a really life-changing moment for me in some of the way that he talked to us. And we'll put this talk in his show notes. I've actually talked about it in previous episodes but over the past years, but um, same questions. And I think for us, that was kind of a pivotal moment for us as well as we took these questions. I think that this can be a powerful way to receive, I'm going to say, inspired correction from the Lord. And that really, it just gives this great introspection as we ask questions in that way. And as I was thinking about those phrases, those questions today, again, what am I doing that I should stop doing? And what am I not doing that I should start doing? Um, I was looking at those questions and was also reminded of a couple times that President Nelson has used those in the past few few years, specifically to, to some youth and young adults. And I just think that that's a great place to start. So if that gets your mind going on that, I'm going to get those social media posts up. We'd again love to hear from you and we'll share those um, in the upcoming episodes. So thank you again for that. And we'll move forward with today's question. Like Zach said, we'll be studying in Doctrine and Covenants section 29 today. And we're looking forward to this week's study. Yeah, I like this section and this the topic that goes along with it. There's a lot of second coming uh, related scripture here, and I like this topic because it's so emotional. Um, one of the activities I love to lead students through 
so that we can get in touch with our honest emotions is I've created a, a, um, an image where I've taken a screenshot of the church uh, newsroom homepage and I have a font that looks really similar to the font that they use on their homepage and I overlay the headline article. I was trying to find one that has President Nelson at a pulpit somewhere. And I, uh, whatever is currently the headline article, I overlay something that says President Nelson announces the second coming is happening today. This sounds like it might be illegal, these things that you're doing. <laughs> well, I, I've, <laughs> no, wondered, <I'm> <laughs> I've wondered through the years, is this, is the, this is probably wrong? Because it, it really does spook students. Um, the more savvy and aware ones are a little bit more skeptical and they sense that something's going on. But quite a few of them, uh, they read it through a couple of times and they go, wait, what? And uh, I did this just last semester with some institute students even. And I'm, I'm bad at these kind of things because I can't hold a straight face. And so being on a computer screen was actually a good thing because I could kind of hide my face a little bit so they couldn't. I didn't give Let it away. Let me share my screen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what I'd have to do. I'm horrible at holding a straight face when I'm trying to pull a joke out like that. So I've wondered if I should stop doing it. But the reason I keep doing it is because it's such a quick way to get at the raw feelings we have when the topic of second coming comes up. And for most people, those feelings are at least anxiety and worry or confusion and at most outright fear and dread. Um, and for good reason. Scriptural accounts of the second coming are filled with some pretty um, de descriptive and violent language. And in section 29, uh, that's there as well. You have <laughs> eyeballs falling from sockets. Um, and so it's it's a justified anxiety and anger. But I think we can do something to address that this week. In fact, I think the Lord wants us to. So in section 29, verse 4, listen to the emotion the Lord desires when he talks about his own coming, wants us to feel when he describes his coming. Verily I say unto you that you are chosen out of the world to declare my gospel with the sound of rejoicing as with the voice of a trump. Lift up your hearts and be glad, for I am in your midst, and I'm your advocate with the Father, and it is his good will to give you the kingdom. In other words, this coming, Jesus's presence, should bring joy, rejoicing, and gladness, um, because as he labels it in verse 14, it is a great day. So that scriptural description contrasts with the emotions that we sometimes feel. And so what we want to do in this episode is change that a bit. The question we want to pose to you and invite you to ask in your own study and pondering is, what motivates me to gather myself and gather others to the Savior? What motivates me to gather myself and others to the Savior. Now that question's for you, but we want to help by doing two things this episode. Number one, we want to help get rid of the fear of Jesus's coming. Um, not just a future second coming, but also 
fear or hesitation we might have of allowing him to come into our everyday lives. Then the second step is increasing our desire to gather. So decreasing our fear, increasing our desire to gather. Now, I think that these two-step questions, as Zach said, can be really important right now, especially. We have are kind of living in a funny time. And so we've kind of lived this year of fear, almost, and wondering of, is this a sign of what's happening? Is this something that's supposed to mean something? And so I think that fear can be really important for us to address. In fact, as I was reading these scriptures of early on in the episodes this year in Doctrine and Covenants, I told myself that I was going to really like take head on the hard things that the Lord says to the people in the Doctrine and Covenants. And as I read this week, I thought, I don't really want to study about these hard things. <laughs> They're too, whatever it is, too second coming for me, I guess, is the words that I would use. But I really feel like, um, after we talk, Zach, especially, I just feel like this study can can help that mm-hmm. and do exactly these things. The first step, Zach already said, but get rid of that fear of the second coming and then the second step, increasing your desire. So we'll get started first with the first step, get rid of the fear. And um, the, the first verse that I wanted to talk about is just at the very beginning of section 29, where he says, listen to the voice of Jesus Christ your Redeemer, the great I Am, whose arm of mercy hath atoned for your sins. Um, I think that's maybe the important step there. I mean, I love that he talks about, like, I'm your Redeemer, the great I Am, and he talks about his mercy and that he atoned for each of us. But that first sentence stood out to me, of, or the first phrase, I guess, was listen to the voice of Jesus Christ. Let's not forget to listen to him and to be let those words into our hearts that can the calm and reassuring and the peace that he brings to our life and to these hard situations um and then if that verse wasn't maybe in peaceful enough for you um i've always loved this analogy that he uses here who and this is in verse two Who will gather his people, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, even as many as will hearken to my voice and humble themselves before me and call upon me in mighty prayer? Um, I don't think that there is anything more comforting, and maybe it's because I picture being gathered by a hen (laughs) and being wrapped in those feathers and that softness and that comfort, and also the the hen that gathers her chickens is a mother who's wanting to protect and wanting to care for her young and that she'd do anything for them. She's gathering them in because there's something scary and she's going to be there to comfort and wrap them up in those soft feathers that just sound really comfortable mm-hmm. to me. <laughs> One fun note on that, uh, important note, um, the word atonement in uh, Hebrew is kephar, which means to cover. And one connotation of that is to to protect from consequence or to protect from harm. And so it's not a coincidence that in verse 1, the Savior points out that he has atoned for our sins. And then in verse 2, he then covers us and protects us 
from uh, danger and from damage. Well, and that's just beautiful as you read into verse 3, thinking about that um, definition of that. I say unto you that at this time your sins are forgiven you, therefore you receive these things, but to remember to sin no more, lest peril shall come upon you. I, I just... I think let's just listen to him. Let's believe him that he's forgiving us, that he's there with us, that we have his mercy, we have his protection and his love with us through through all of this. And in verse 5, he says it again, I'm your advocate. Lift up your hearts and be glad. I am in your midst. And he is here to do that, to help us even lift up our hearts and be glad even when it feels hard. There's a great cross-reference in that verse. It's a, a very well-known passage in section 45 where the term advocate shows up again but the lord uses or describes himself in that verse as an advocate pleading our case um, on our side desiring and wanting for us to succeed and i think what you've pointed out here the beginning of the section even though there is coming up the part that i want to talk about is the 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 scary part the first thing he wants you to know in relationship to his coming is who it is that's coming. We get sidetracked by focusing on all of the events of the second coming and forget that it's the second coming of Jesus of Nazareth, who was loving and kind and sought out people that were hurting and helped them, spent time with people that had been ostracized or marginalized, sought to lift up those that had been forgotten and heal those that had been hurt. That's the Jesus that's coming. And so if we get over-focused on the events of the second coming and forget the person that's, that's at the center of those events, I think that's when the fear starts to creep in. And if we can reverse those and focus on the second coming of Jesus Christ instead of just the second coming, um, maybe our fear can dissipate a bit. There is, however, uh, starting around verse 14, uh, a description of the events of the second coming, and it's a pretty harrowing description. Uh, the sun uh, darkened, the moon turned to blood, the stars falling from the heavens, weeping and wailing, the hosts of men, hailstorms that destroy crops, uh, the inhabitants of the earth being eaten by maggots, uh, flesh falling from off bones, eyes falling from sockets. It's, it's, it's a very grotesque description. I actually like these verses. And as you said, taking something difficult head on, I wanted to wrestle with these because I really believe that the Lord's intent in describing and in, in providing this revelation was not to terrify people, uh, but to fill them with a desire to change and to prepare themselves for the second coming. He says in verse 8, uh, we're gathering together, we're preparing ourselves for the second coming. So I think that's the motivation behind him sharing this. And so I wanted to wrestle with these verses and figure out what is it in this description of the second coming that is actually motivating us to gather ourselves to him. What, what can I do that helps me take these verses and eliminate the fear of the second coming? And three thoughts came to mind. Number one, three perspective shifts. Number one, when we read events of the second coming, we are, at least I am, quite prone to read them as if God is causing all of those events rather than God describing events that will happen as natural consequences of the wickedness of the world. 
Now, it's not exactly clear, and this might be both. There might be some things that are divinely caused, and there might be some things that just come as consequences. But I kind of sense a little bit that what the Lord is describing here might be more symbolic uh, descriptions of what will happen as the world progresses down its current path uh, of avoiding and even erasing morality, uh, eliminating God, uh, and pursuing self-pleasure and self-aggrandizement. And so that's the first consideration. These may not, we look at this and think that God's coming and he's going to do all these horrible things. And maybe it's, no, this is God describing what's going to happen, which leads to the second point. Um, I think I've shared this before, but when we moved into a previous house, we uh, our house was on a shared alleyway that cars would drive down to park in garages. And I told our kids, they were really young, but I told them when we got there, you can't play in the alleyway because cars drive down it. It's not a driveway. But of course, first or second week we're there, uh, my oldest son is out in the alleyway, he's biking around, and a car comes down the alleyway, and I call out to him, Finn, get out of the alley. He doesn't hear and doesn't or doesn't listen, and so I call out louder, and I start to move towards him with uh, some agitated movement, not because I was mad at him, and not really because he'd done something wrong, but because I was concerned for his safety and I could see a coming danger. I think what the Lord is doing in sections like this, of scripture like this, is walking towards his children with a loud voice warning them of what's coming. Um, I think it's motivated by love and concern for their safety more than it is motivated by a desire to instill fear or even a chastisement of their actions. Those two thoughts are helpful. There's one more uh, that came as I studied this time that I really liked, and that was this. I don't think we should be as uh, bothered by the destruction of the wicked explained in this section and other sections like it as maybe we are. Maybe it's just me, but when I have read Destruction of the Wicked, there's something inside me that says, oh, that's not fair, or that's not right, or it's so harsh. Probably because when I'm thinking of the wicked, I'm thinking uh, sometimes of myself and of other people like me who make mistakes, maybe repeated mistakes or do things wrong. Or not even necessarily that we need to repent of something. or, But I, I just think that it's that harshness that you talk about mm -hmm. that it seems harsh to think, wait, there's, there's a lot of good people they're trying or, or, you know, it's just that yeah, idea yeah. of equality and justice that I think a lot of us feel inside of us that make us feel that that feels harsh. I felt yeah. that too, as I read. So I loved this thought. Well, I think this section, uh, the Lord does something deliberate to help us see what he means when he's talking about the wicked, because, uh, he is very descriptive of the type of wickedness he's referring to because he references the rebellion of Satan against him. Verse 36, the devil rebelled against me, uh, drew away a third part of the hosts of heaven because of their agency. They were thrust down to hell. Uh, of course, we need to understand, and Joseph is translating uh, the Old Testament at the time that he's writing this or is receiving this revelation. So reading Moses chapter 4 is a really good cross-reference to reading Doctrine and Covenants section 29. And in Moses chapter 4, it talks about that rebellion. 
um, where I, I have students all the time that'll say almost as if they're sorry for Satan, like, is he ever going to get a second chance? To which the answer is, he doesn't want one. Satan's rebellion was a fully informed rebellion. There is no moment in some future eternity where Satan is going to go, oh, if I would have just known that, then I wouldn't have rebelled. He knew it all, the whole plan. And he knew that the plan was outlined for us to come to God through his only begotten son, Jesus or Jehovah. And Satan did not want to follow that plan. He rebelled against that central tenet of the plan, which is following Christ and drew away anyone else after him who also did not want to follow Christ. And so the Savior says in this section that where he is, they cannot be uh, because they don't want to be with him. That's the wickedness that he's talking about. It is a willful, deliberate rebellion against God and goodness. my guess is that you, well, I know that you who are listening to this podcast because you're listening to a podcast on scriptures, you're not wicked, and you probably don't know anybody personally in your life who is wicked to that degree. Um, when, when the Lord talks about destroying the wicked, he is talking about removing from the earth those who would deliberately try and bring other people into bondage would deliberately try and destroy goodness and happiness, would deliberately try and destroy God. And we cannot have an earth where God is trying to celestialize a people if there are people intent on that kind of wickedness. That's the destruction of the wickedness. Um, it's removing them from the earth. He's not going to destroy their souls. He's removing them from the earth so that the earth can be a place where people can live in peace and harmony and grow up together in the Lord. Okay, we talked about that getting rid of the fear related to his coming. That's kind of the first step. And we'll move into the next step, which is increasing the desire to gather. And this has been an interesting year for gathering, hasn't it? We have officially passed the year mark of quarantines and lockdowns. And in fact, we were just tonight kind of going over some of Zach's journal entries from last year when all of this came to pass and all of these scary and I mean I I knew it was a weird year but almost reading back when he was reading aloud some of his journal entries and I honestly like refelt the pain <laughs> I refelt the anxiety I refelt the the just the craziness and the heaviness of the year that we've lived Um, and when I say we, I mean the world, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it has been, um, an interesting year and, and interesting as we talk about gathering, right? We are looking now to, I know a lot of places are opening up. The vaccine is getting out to people and many people are going back to school. And now it's the question of, do we want to gather again? Do we want to go back to maybe not only for safety reasons, but also I kind of liked being at home more often and not having to go to as many places or not having to go to church. And so what's really the point of gathering? And as we thought about this, we really felt like it was almost a twofold answer is gathering to Jesus and coming to him. And then also the need to be together. Why do we need to be in each other's presence to really make this happen? And in, I guess, answer or in thought toward that is 
verse 8, where he says, Wherefore the decree hath gone forth from the Father, that they shall be gathered in unto one place upon the face of this land, to prepare their hearts and be prepared in all things against the day when tribulation and desolation are sent forth upon the wicked. Um, I love the idea of that is presented here as we, in, ver in verse 7, hear my voice and harden not their hearts. And then we're told to prepare hearts and be prepared in all things as we gather together. I I think we're going to find a lot of unique ways. We already have, as we have have all these technology and all these new ways of gathering, which are effective. But there's something about being in the presence of others. Um, Zach and I were talking about, you know, service is one of those. And all of these things that... Um, we need each other. We need each other to really open up and gather and knit our hearts together in preparing to helping prepare each other's hearts. I don't know. Maybe you can well, add something to we that. We talked as... about this that um, in another second coming section in the New Testament in Matthew 25, the Lord tells that parable of the king calling his servants to him and telling his servants, the ones on his right hand, uh, you took care of me, you fed me when I was hungry, you clothed me when I was naked. And those say to him, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you naked? And he says, inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me, right? That great phrase. In other words, part of, and maybe the biggest part of preparing for the second coming is obeying the first and second great commandments, loving God with all our heart, might, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbors the way that he loved them. And so I think if we're talking about preparing, maybe the best way to prepare is to serve and love other people, which of course, as you mentioned, we found very creative ways to do that during the pandemic. Um, but our, if we're honest, our ability to minister to each other is hampered when we can't be close to each other. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder if us, one of the reasons why we should want to gather again is so that our ability to serve and take care of each other can increase um, and maybe enabled by all we've learned during the pandemic, it can increase to a level that it uh, we were never able to fully achieve before the pandemic. Yeah, I know there's been a lot of, I think we've learned a lot through all of this of ways that we can gather both virtually and, and in person. So it's going to be interesting as we get back to it and maybe appreciate more fully. And maybe that will be part of it is just appreciating more fully the ability to come together. Well, you addressed that second point of why we should want to gather together to the first point of why we should want to gather to the Savior. We, of course, addressed that a little bit in the beginning with uh, eliminating the fear of the second coming. But one more thought that struck me as I studied is as much as section 29 is about second coming, the second coming is a future event. And I'm not talking about procrastinating until that event. But what interests me more or concerns me more is actually the fear or the anxiety we might have now about letting God become a full part of our life. There's a lot of anxieties and fears about letting him fully in. And so why should we want to gather to him? Why do we want to come when he calls and let him take such an active role in our life? And a companion question of why do we want to help other people gather to him? A couple of years ago, I heard a mission president uh, share a perspective on sacrament meetings. And he just remarked that he'd been in quite a few sacrament meetings where the topic was missionary work. And he said, unfortunately, in those sacrament meetings, quite often there was very little mention of Jesus Christ and a lot of talks about missionary work. And he said, it strikes me 
that if you want to motivate people to uh, in, to share the gospel, you want to fire them up, you don't have a talk on missionary work. You have a talk on the Savior. You have people bear their testimony about what he's done for them in their life. And that will ignite a flame in everyone else's heart to go out and gather more people to the Savior because look at what he can do to your life. A similar thought strikes me here as we learn about what the Savior has done. He's our advocate and he atones for us and he covers us and protects us and calls us and loves us. Uh, that makes me want to come to him and it makes me want to help other people come to him who might need that advocacy or that atoning or that covering. And I think maybe most powerful of all is that the Savior wants that to happen too. Listen to his desires in these couple of verses. Verse five, lift up your hearts and be glad for I am in your midst and I'm your advocate with the Father and it is his good will to give you the kingdom. God wants to give you the kingdom. Um, verse 25, not one hair, neither moat shall be lost for it is the workmanship of my hand. I am not going to lose anyone uh, that I've created because I care so much about them. Uh, and then verse 48, it is given unto them even as I will according to mine own pleasure, that great things may be required of the hand of their fathers. Talking about children, but that that uh, great pleasure and will that he has to bring good things to his children, young and old. That's the person to whom we want to gather and gather our friends to. So hopefully these two perspectives help you as you study and ponder the question, what motivates me to gather myself and others to him? Thank you so much for studying with us. We look forward to hearing your comments on social media, and we will see you next week.